Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between fighting and self-defense. Now, fighting often involves prior knowledge. You know it's going to happen. Mixed martial arts bouts are fighting. But in most criminal attack scenarios, you won't have the advantage of recognizing the danger that's headed your way until it's too late. A real criminal will strike you when you aren't looking, attack you when you least expect it, and attack without giving you the opportunity to block his blows or get to a weapon to defend yourself. But this type of ambush attack doesn't have to mean defeat or death. You may not be able to choose when you're attacked, but you do have options to fight back if you know the dynamics of how to survive an ambush attack. And that's what Andrew Nache is best at. Now this week we dip back in our old International Society of Close Quarter Combatants archives for a two-part podcast series that I feel is such a critical survival skill for armed and unarmed citizens that it was worth reviving this exclusive training. Now in part one, we'll get into all the tips that you need to know to help prevent an ambush as much as possible, as well as Andrew's practical first move tactics for launching your own counterattack. Now you'll find lots of real world strategies you can put to use right away, so check this out now. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. As a former soldier and combat veteran, I can tell you that the most deadly ground encounter is the ambush. By its very nature, an ambush happens when you least expect it. And this is true not just when targeted as a victim by a common street criminal, but also on the battlefield. It's the same thing. The street battlefield, the military battlefield, an ambush is an ambush, and it's just as deadly. Now, while you may be forced to defend yourself as a result of an altercation at a bar or a party, a road rage incident or whatever, some other abrupt circumstance, the common street criminal who's decided that you're his next victim doesn't want a fair fight. He's not going to yell, he won't scream, he won't tell you he's going to kick your ass. He'll wait until your back is turned and you're fidgeting with your car keys or whatever, and then he'll strike. No matter how much you've trained in martial arts or self-defense, no matter how well you've sparred one-on-one with a training partner, most likely you're not prepared for the overwhelming surprise of an ambush attack that neutralizes your first strike potential. So how can you prepare for an event that by its very nature finds you unprepared? Well, that's what we're here to reveal in this exclusive ISCQC Street Survival Workshop. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, president of the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants. And I'm excited to have with us today someone who has tackled the ambush scenario head-on in his training that he's developed. Please welcome Andrew Nache to the program. Andrew, thanks for carving out some time for us, man. Uh, glad to be here, Jeff. Uh, it's an exciting opportunity to, uh, to share some of our uh, strategies here today. Absolutely, and I love the video stuff that we've put out to our members for you and everything, and I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on this. Now, listen, everybody, if you haven't uh, checked out Andrew's bio yet on the site, Andrew's experience spans more than 24 years of intense training and research, culminating in his creation of the Confront Self-Defense Program. It's a complete system that teaches real skills, verbal, emotional, psychological, and physical 
that will save your life, especially when you're outgunned on the street. Now, one of the things that makes Andrew's training so unique is that it's designed to completely complement your current training regimen. So it allows you to train with any martial art of your choice and yet find new ways to apply your training as well as the training and techniques learned in the Confront system to a lethal encounter on the street. Now, for more information on Andrew and his Confront training, please visit his website at www.confront.com. Now, Andrew, uh, I, I was really excited when uh, we, we came up with this topic, and I immediately thought of you because of your focus on this topic of, of avoiding and dealing with a response to an ambush. Now, I know that you know, one of the things that has been like a real driver for, which I think gives a great foundation to the practicality of what you teach, is that you're not out there just looking to bust heads, that you're looking to avoid encounters where you can. So I want to I want to take this ambush approach, this this how to avoid and how to to defeat, how to defend against an ambush, from a real kind of step by step sort of a format. And and that first step is avoidance. And I know that this is a big thing with with what you put out. So so let me ask you, what are what are some of the primary things? I mean, how does somebody, you know, I mean, an ambush is going to happen just you know, on the spur of the moment. So what are the what are the best steps that somebody can take in order to avoid an ambush from happening to begin with? Well, well, first off, Jeff, um, I just want to, you know, first off, just agree with the, the first couple things you were saying is that, you know, the element of surprise causes trauma. Like you said, whether it's on the battlefield or in the street, you have to address the fact and accept the fact that uh, when you're in a surprise mindset, don't expect textbook textbook technique, anything you practice in the dojo, in the gym, in the octagon. You, know, you might have 20 years under your belt of uh, elite training and, and just be a, an incredible fighting machine in controlled circumstances, but uh, what I always tell people right up front in our seminars is the element of surprise causes trauma. And once you accept that, you take the pressure off being technically perfect, and that whole expectation should be you should really relieve yourself of that expectation in the street because it's not going to happen. It's not going to look pretty. Uh, it's very scary, but understanding and accepting that, uh, accepting that you're going to have an, a hell of an adrenaline uh, dump, uh, that the fear is going to be in your body, it's going to be biologically in your body, coursing through your veins. Uh, accepting that before it happens is, is the first step. Uh, now, in terms of avoidance, really that's, that's based on developed awareness skills. And I know everyone talks about, you know, being aware is number one, and avoiding. That's where they teach a lot of, um, you know, rape prevention um, programs, etc. But what I like to do is I like to split up into two levels: macro and micro levels of awareness. So yeah, I, I looked. At, I, I was really fascinated by your approach on this because, like you said, I mean, awareness has kind of become a tag word that's been thrown out there, like being aware of your surroundings. But I like how you've really taking this scientific approach to macro and micro. So, so yeah, go ahead and dig deep into that. What do you mean by macro and micro awareness? So macro awareness, this is um, at a distance, basically beyond your personal space. So, for instance, if I'm walking down the street, I'm not just looking down, you know, maybe 10 feet in front of me or, or looking at uh, my immediate surroundings or who I'm with. I'm looking at what's happening down the block, across the street, maybe two blocks down the road, uh, I equate it to how I drive a car. If you're if you're a good defensive driver, uh, you've seen you've seen the cops uh, in your rearview mirror three four blocks away pull some pull someone over. So you know, for instance, uh, that there's a speed trap 
within your vicinity, or you know when you're walking down a street, there's, you know, maybe two blocks down, there's there's kind of a, a rowdy bunch of guys hanging out. Maybe there's a fight breaking out, or some words are escalating. So you wanted to you want to expand your radar, so to speak, so it's not within your immediate, you know, 12 foot uh, diameter circle. So that's what I mean by macro. So you know, if I'm walking in a restaurant, I'm 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 it's already second nature. I know where the exits are. Not because I'm paranoid, but it's just a habit I've built as part of the training where I know where all the exits are in uh, within the, the ground floor, so I know how to extricate myself if I had to, whether it's a fire or uh, another confrontation went down. Uh, if I'm walking down the street and I see an alley coming up, I'm thinking of a, a what-if scenario. Well, if someone was going to attack me, uh, how would they do it? When would they do it? Where would they do it? If uh, if I'm walking right across the, the opening of that alley, I'm giving myself no time uh, to respond whatsoever. I'm forcing myself into a do-or-die situation. So I make it a little harder for the, the potential uh, predator, and I walk out a little closer to the curb. Again, I'm buying myself little seconds here, little seconds there, so I'm constantly buying myself some time by being aware of my surroundings. Well, what um, I like about what you're saying right there, if I can just kind of interject here, so sure. not even about the threat, so to speak. I mean, not even about, like, maybe maybe you're walking down the street and you don't see any threat around, but just the fact that, like what you just said, knowing, like, if you're going to turn a corner, just being aware of the corner. Now, that doesn't mean there's a threat on the other side of the corner or around the corner of the building, but being aware of your surroundings on a macro level and knowing to take a wide berth around a corner so that if there was somebody there waiting for you, you then, you know, that's helping to avoid the uh, the ambush as well, right? Exactly. Like when you're driving a car, you're not looking at your hood, right? Right. You're, you're looking right. down the street. You're looking down. You're looking at the on-ramp or off-ramp of a highway. Where is traffic building up? And you don't even think about this during the day because it's, it's so second nature. But we don't have those same habits ingrained for our own personal safety. Mm-hmm. And when we're driving, that's something that's been ingrained to us in our dr- driver's ed. But I'm just looking at getting that same type of awareness, again, on a macro level. So whether it's the exits out of a building... Um, the opening of an alley, uh, checking out, you know, two, three blocks down, uh, down the street, um, or if, if someone is approaching you and for some reason your, your spidey sense is tingling. You know, so something's telling you something's a little off by this guy. He, he may be 30 feet away, but you notice his body language is a little off. Maybe there's a little bit of an aggressive strut to him. And again, I'm not trying to get people paranoid, but I'm just getting people to open their eyes. So if I've identified something on my radar, I then ask myself a, a few more questions. Do I see both hands? Are both hands in pockets? Well, again, another little alarm bell goes off saying, okay, that's interesting. Um, this, this guy's got a kind of a, an aggressive body language. I can't see both hands. Um, what is, what is his, is he vectoring towards me? Is he crossing the street? So this is stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm having 30, 40 thoughts a second go here. It's not that I'm getting anxious about them, but it's ingrained part of my own psyche that I've become unaware of being aware. And that's really the goal we want to get people to is initially when you hear this type of information, it sounds like paranoia, but as you develop this skill, you become unaware of being aware. You come full circle and it's just something that's part of your natural everyday way of looking at life and you see things a mile away before they're in your face. Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially, and I, and I love the way you put that, aware of, um, or unaware of being aware, because in your analogy of driving a car, the reason why we're always scanning and things like that is because we are aware that there's a danger, whether it's another motorist or whether it's a red light or, or getting a, a, you know, a, a traffic ticket or whatever it is, we realize that there's a quote unquote danger there, 
And so we do it naturally. We scan for that. And and yet it's funny because in life we walk around, most, most people walk around with their head in the clouds just totally unaware of any potential danger out there because I guess we just assume that safety is, is a given until it's not a given anymore. So I think you're, um, this kind of leads into your micro-awareness, which is when it comes to, I, I guess, when it comes to an actual threat. Exactly. So, so now the, uh, if you use the analogy of a radar screen, um, so now your threat's within striking distance. So now if, you're, if your potential opponent has the ground shoot of George St. Pierre, that could be across an octagon because that guy can clear an octagon pretty quickly. Uh, but if you're dealing with uh, someone less than a supreme athlete like George, someone within maybe uh, just outside a kicking range, so he's approaching a close quarter but maybe about 10 feet away or so, you want to take a look at his uh, his weight distribution as well. Is he favoring a leg? You know, is there an injury there? Is he chambering something? Uh, is he angled away? Uh, you know, most trained fighters um, will protect their center line, so that they're rarely going to just face you head on where the center line is totally exposed. So you want to look at again, where is his weight? Uh, where are his hands? Uh, what's his breathing like? If someone was setting up for a sucker punch, people typically don't attack when they inhale. So you don't see someone throwing a punch just as they inhale. They'll inhale first, get that breath, and then they then they unleash the attack. So you want you want to look at that breathing pattern, um, you know, eyes. If you want to see, is this guy scanning? Is is he trying to lock on? So all these little telltale cues kind of give you a picture of is this person is, is he consumed with his own life and maybe fiddling with his uh, with his iPhone, or is this guy locking on you? And the, his vectoring, his body language, his weight distribution is looking like it's becoming more of a threat. Yeah. Yeah, those, um, those signs are really important for people to understand what they are and you can recognize it, as, especially anybody that's ever been sucker punched before. And I have been sucker punched. Um, you know, it's knowing what those signs are and being aware to be aware of those is, is really, really important. You know, let's talk about kind of the environment of the ambush and, and Potentially, you know, some maybe applying some of these awareness sign uh, awareness signals to to the type of uh, these type of situations. You know, one of the things like uh, like I did in the introduction, it was it was really about you know a, a common street criminal doesn't want a fair fight. They're not going to you know like in the movies like jump out of the um, the alleyway and say you know hey give me give me your um, give me your wallet right now. Now that could happen, yes, but think about it if you're a criminal. Isn't it much, much better to jump out and just slam some, some guy in the head and then take his wallet from him as he's basically unconscious on the ground? I mean, if somebody jumps out and says, give me your wallet, what they're doing is they're, unless they have a, a loaded gun and they plan on using it, they're basically saying, I think I can pretty much take this guy. But criminals don't want to, they don't want to take the chance that they're going to get beat up or stabbed or shot by somebody with a concealed carry permit or, or whatever. So, it's much much easier just to come out of nowhere and slam somebody. So, as you know, with that kind of a setup, obviously it makes it very challenging because it's designed. The environment is designed to give them the advantage. Are there any are there anything are any signs that people can can look for with a possible mugging setup? Well, again, great question. And the way I look at it is, it's it's all about time. How much time can you buy for yourself? And uh, in terms of creating that gap between stimulus and response uh so you know his attack is a stimulus and i don't like to use stimulus reaction because 
I, I want people to train themselves to respond. That's not always possible in the instant. And again, it's just like the, that analogy you, you made with the movies. That is so unrealistic and puts so much unrealistic pressure on someone that, you know, someone jumps out at you with weapon or not, you're expected, you know, as the movies have conditioned us to uh, respond with a jump-spinning hook kick. It just doesn't happen. So I think number one, you know, as we started this uh, this conversation, accept the fact that the element of surprise causes trauma. And, and that's, that works both ways. And uh, what we really work on at our Confront programs is flipping the tables on, on the predator so that we can use that element of surprise uh, to our advantage. But to answer your question, again, I'm, I'm trying to buy points or buy time as much as I can. So whether that means, like if I'm walking down the street, I'm not going to have both hands in my pockets because what that means, I've just uh, cost myself at least, you know, I don't know, a quarter. I haven't measured it, but probably at least a quarter to half a second of reaction. If someone tries to throw a haymaker at me and I'm standing with both hands in my pocket, it's not taking me that extra fraction of a second even to flinch, even to get those hands up, I'm stuck. So uh, I'm constantly aware of my own uh, physical positioning. Uh, I try not to have both hands uh, full carrying either, you know, bags or a briefcase or whatever, and I'm constantly assessing what is my positioning um, in relation to a, to a potential threat. What signs do I look for? Again, if I don't see both hands, I'm going to assume he's carrying at least one weapon. So some guys uh, carry a whole arsenal on them, so assume at least one. Um, and as we mentioned before, look at that weight distribution. Uh, chances are that... In the, if he's going to kick you, which is really unlikely, usually they, there'll be a haymaker or, or some type of a shove. Um, he'll be throwing the leg where he doesn't have his weight on. Otherwise, he's going to have to shift, and that telegraphs the intent. Um, I look for his hand positioning as well. Some guys are really sneaky where they, they can throw a haymaker from their hip, um, or you know the, the classic uh, the classic um, setup. Well, they'll look down and then they throw the haymaker out of left field. If someone is within striking distance in what I call boxing range, that's within the range of being punched, my I am acutely aware of this person. I am not taking my eyes off him. So he has now entered that uh, that safety zone where I, I am now on alert. So as he approaches, again, I'm, I'm not going to be caught there because I'm aware of this threat on my radar. So in terms of what do you look for, definitely weight distribution, hand positioning, foot positioning, uh, and breathing. A lot of people overlook breathing, but guys, not not everyone is skilled where they can actually mask their breathing uh, to throw the technique. So this is the basics that I, that I look at. Yeah, you just answered my, my next question, which was, <laughs> um, you know, it's not just the mugging, but the sucker punch seems to be, you know, that's one of the most common, quote-unquote, ambushes that, that people truly feel. Because, I mean, you could be in a bar and, and you know, somebody could just sucker punch you just because they've had a couple too much drink and you know, all of a sudden this looks like a good target and they'll just hit, you know, hit somebody from nowhere. So, but you just, um, you just gave me pretty much the, uh, the step by step for how to avoid the sucker punch. At least if you're, at least if you are, 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 are with somebody and there's some sort of confrontation already, you know, it's hard to, you know, if you're, um, I think one of the things to kind of lead into that though that I've also seen are where you're, you're talking with somebody or you're having a confrontation with someone. And that person's buddy looks over and sees you, you know, you kind of having it out with his friend. And this is, you know, another ambush situation where there might be multiple attackers or even if it's not like you're, you're the victim or you're, you're being targeted as a victim by criminals, but you know, it could be just be somebody's friend that's there that 
comes up from behind you or comes up to the side or whatever. And there's another version of of a sucker punch ambush that that people can can um that they may encounter. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, um, you know, before I was married, I used to go out to the clubs and bars a little bit more, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of behind me. But one thing I always used to do, um, and having worked the door as well, uh, when I walked into a new place, I scan, I scan the people in the environment, and I look at the uh, the connections they make. Like you, you'll know who's together, even if they're even if a bunch of guys aren't, you know, uh, side by side standing at a bar. You'll see some knowing glances, some nods. Uh, you kind of, you can kind of assess the situation before, before you go in. And I always took a, a few beats, a few seconds or moments just to kind of assess my surroundings, uh, figure out where the different cliques and, uh, groups are, and just get a kind of a read for the energy in the room, uh, before I go in. And that's really understanding your environment. So, um, you know, rarely is, there's no such thing as a fair fight. It's, it's rarely going to be one-on-one. It, it's rare that you're going to have a guy who's going to tell you, okay, at nine o'clock, I'll have had my fourth beer and third shot of JD. I'm going to meet you outside. It's just going to be me. I'm not bringing any weapons. And, uh, you know, let, let's just keep it, not to the face, just go to the body because, uh, you know, I, I got a big day tomorrow. It's not going to happen that way. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a really good point you make is, and again, assess your surroundings. That's macro level awareness and you, you see those little interrelationships and it's, uh, once you start developing an eye for that, uh, it's hard not to ignore it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, going back to your macro micro application to this, I mean, on a macro level, uh, you know, maybe knowing as you walk into a bar, um, you see that there is a group of guys and, and I think just, you know, chances are, if there's a group of guys in a nightclub, then there's more chance that they're going to be rowdy, as opposed to a couple of guys just kind of hanging out, having a beer together or whatever. But if you've got a bunch of young guys, look like frat boys or whatever, they just got done, you know, with the softball game and whatever, they're all they're all tanked up, then you know that that's a group that could potentially get out of control if they get a little bit rowdy later on night. So you know that there's more than one person in there. So on a macro level, you maybe assess when you first go in of, okay, maybe who the danger groups are or whatever. On a micro level, if you, if one of those guys just happens to start woofing on you and, and uh, giving you a problem, you know, maybe on a micro level, it's more of looking at them or the person you have a confrontation with. You still need to be aware that his friends are around, but, you know, if if you see his eyes dart off to the right like he's looking at a buddy, doesn't want you to know that he's looking at it, buddy. That could mean that you've got, you know, a haymaker headed toward your head here in just a couple of seconds. So I think that's a really good application of that macro and micro level that you're talking about. Um, really good stuff. Um, I see that we do have um, somebody who has uh, is looking to submit a question or ask a question. Uh, it looks like Dustin. Uh, Dustin, I see that your hand is up, and I did see that you had a uh, question that was submitted into the into the uh, the other form as well. I will go ahead and call on you. Um, as we get closer to the end here, there's some things I want to cover first, but I really appreciate it. I see your hands up there. And um, we will call on you when we get going here. So stand by for that one. If anybody is on the live line tonight and they want to join us and uh, ask a question over the phone, they can just press star 2 on their handset, and that will go ahead and raise your hand on our end. Or you can submit your question via the field or the, the form that's on the the broadcast website right now, so you can go ahead and do that. Now, Andrew, you've developed a set of principles for what you call street combat psychology. So in what way do you think that someone's mindset plays an important role in their ability to 
detect and avoid and respond to a threat? Well, that's that's a fantastic question because uh, you know as we've been talking tonight, Jeff. Uh, one thing I did that I did want to underline is really what is your emotional state? You know, there's tons of fantastic technicians out there, great martial artists who will teach you the most effective straight right hook or front kick. Uh, you know, you could probably talk to Steven Seagal about a jumping front kick too if you like. But it, uh, in terms of making this work, you, the micro-awareness also looks inside. Like, what is your emotional state? Uh, is it Monday morning, 7.30 a.m., you've had a couple cups of coffee, you're stressed out by the pile of email that's waiting for you at the office, you're fighting traffic, and some some jerk cuts you off, and uh, or some jerk thinks you cut him off, and he's outside of his car now, um, slamming on, on the hood of your car. What is your emotional mindset there? What is your emotional state? Are you uh, are you right? Away? You're probably right into a full-on adrenaline dump. Uh, you're just wrenched right into the reality of a Monday morning. That mindset is going to be uh, diametrically opposed to a Saturday night. You've had a nice dinner with your wife, had a bottle of wine. You're walking outside of the restaurant, and then some guy accosts you. So they're two different emotional climates, and they're going to dictate how you act in that next moment. So it's it's huge. Uh, understanding where you are emotionally, psychologically, is really going to allow you or prevent you from unleashing any type of physical tactic whatsoever. What about the um, you know, getting the mindset? Um, you know, there's this real kind of play on words between defense and offense, and and what it really takes to be able to turn the tables, especially if you're in an ambush you're automatically on the defense. If you're surprise attacked, automatically your your body's initial reaction is, I've been struck, I need to protect myself. This is where a lot of people might just roll over and and basically just, you know, beg for mercy or whatever because they don't know what the threat is and, and they might just curl up into a ball. Uh, let's talk about the mindset part of that first and then we'll get into the response part of it, the, the physical action to it. So, this this whole relationship between proactive and reactive mindset, um, what does somebody need to have and, and how do they apply it to, to this type of a situation? Okay, so, you know, there's the three basic mindsets. Um, you know, surprise, that's, <laughs> that's what we're talking about in ambush. This is, uh, you know, assuming this guy has passed through your radar, you haven't picked up on him 20 feet away, 10 feet away, and all of a sudden he's in your face, and now this has gone nuclear. This has gone to physical dimension. Uh, it, you know, you bypass go. You're right into the physical level. Um, again, you're in surprise mindset. You're going to be reacting there. And the 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 effectiveness of your response is really going to be based on one: uh, how much stress and oculation training have you had? Have you been in this situation before? Have, have you trained uh, under duress before, where? The, the environment wasn't perfect. You weren't in a perfect lab, so to speak, or a dojo. You you were actually forced to act in a stressful situation. So, it does, is your is your training reality based where this isn't new to you? You've replicated it pretty closely. Uh, second, if you're uh, if you're into that certainty mindset, you've got to you need to make that choice ahead of time because we've bypassed suspicion where we're thinking, oh, something might be up. We're we're into a physical confrontation. So, you know, and this is something they, they teach law enforcement officers as well is you have to make the decision before you draw the gun that you will pull that trigger. And say on a physical level, on a physical defense level, no weapons included, you will have had to make that decision before. You're not, there is no time for hesitation. 
if you have a certainty mindset and there's nothing more there's nothing more certain than a punch in the face uh you you have to have the ability to to pull that trigger that push that on off switch to psychologically let yourself go and then of course we apply our physical tactics which is a whole other conversation yeah well okay that's that's a great segue then because let's talk about uh, okay so somebody somebody has been struck with an ambush attack they've been um you know you're you're attacked by surprise and there's no way that you can stop from being struck so it could be somebody that jumps out from be, from behind a car and and is able to get off that first strike in that surprise moment where you kind of get that deer in the headlights position and you don't know what's happening or whatever so so for somebody that has been attacked what is that kind of that first critical move that makes or breaks their potential for survival that they should that they should go right into action for in order to defend themselves okay well what what we teach at our street combat seminars is isn't specifically a move but it's it's principles so i can't tell you exactly what you're going to do because i i don't know the the nature of the actual attack is it a one-hand shove is it a sucker punch on your left temple right temple what what's your where is your balance weight distribution but what i can tell you is um, I won't have to tell you to get your hands up because you will automatically get your hands up as a, a reaction, as, as a flinch response. Um, in terms of what I get people to look for is you want to debilitate your attacker as soon as possible. And how do you debilitate them? You go to primary targets. And when, whenever we start off the physical portion of our seminars, I ask people to list off the primary targets. And some people get really exotic with it, talking about the inside of the left kneecap under this specific nerve. And, and I keep it really simple. The primary targets are eyes and throat. You can grow muscle over your cornea, and you actually can grow muscle over your trachea. You could probably get a lot of fat over there if you have too many six-packs at night, but the trachea is pretty much exposed. And if you attack someone's sight, their vision, or their breathing apparatus, you have psychologically changed their focus from attacking you to protecting their ability to breathe and see. I'm not saying it's it's changed forever, but for that instance, when your thumb is in his eye or a or uh, your fingers are in his eyeballs, um, he is now thinking about protecting his vision. That, that, that's just a, it's an innate, uh, instinctual, um, we're programmed to protect our sight and our breathing. So th- that would be the first principle, is attack a primary target. If, you, if a primary target is unavailable, you attack a secondary target. And I don't get into grading uh, second, third, fourth, fifth level targets. A secondary target is everything else. So if I can't get a primary target, what can I strike that will create an opening in a primary target? So, you know, if for some reason both of my hands are somehow restrained, um, could I could I maybe throw a knee which would shift his weight? If I throw a knee to the groin, chances are he's gonna his groin's gonna recoil from that, bring his eyes and throat a little closer to my hand. So again, I'm just thinking of what ifs. I I I never tell a student use technique 3B in situation 1X because that, that just gets back to trying to predict the future and the street is, is unpredictable. So we teach more principles. And again, primary targets uh, first to debilitate your attacker and, of course, leading with speed or as as we, we teach on our DVD is speed kills. So I'm not trying to knock this guy out because power telegraphs, if I'm, if I'm really trying to take him out, he with the adrenaline coursing through my veins, if I'm in a surprise mindset, if I even think about trying to break something with my first strike, I'm going to telegraph it. And this guy that's in your face, he may be a pro, 
he may you may be mugging victim number forty seven this week, and he knows what what everyone typically does. So um, again, so those would be the basic things I look for: primary targets and and, and firing with speed. You know, let me um, go ahead and add, add a little bit to the front of that because, and, and bring in some stuff that you brought up earlier because I think it's a I think it's a great addition to this. So, um, you know, I think people, you know, they they when they think about okay, I'm going to strike the primary target, they might see themselves as right there, there's like a sparring partner or something like that. But in an ambush attack, let's say that you're you're putting your car keys in and all of a sudden thud, somebody Thank hits you. you from behind to go ahead and take your wallet or whatever. So getting to that primary target, knowing that that's your first like first principle, but you can be very very um, what do I want to say like disorganized or um, or uh, confused because of the initial strike. Like you said, I mean, unless you've been in like severe adrenal stress, like combat type uh, type environment, it's going to be a shock to your system involuntarily. I mean, not like oh, gee, what's happening or whatever consciously, like just subconsciously on a very biophysical level, your body is going through trauma and there's a whole assessment period. So what just happened seems to be the first thing that your body is going to go through. And once you realize very quickly, of course, that you're being attacked, maybe it's because the second punch came your way, but is to, is to find some way, like you said, the flinch response will happen. So to kind of summarize some of the stuff that you said in more of a step-by-step thing here, uh, your flinch response is going to happen. It's a natural protection mechanism of the body once it realizes, holy shit, something's happening here. I'm being attacked. Um, the first thing the body does is protect, but just covering up and protecting yourself is not going to protect yourself. That person that hit you once hit you for a reason, and there's probably a few more of those headed your way. So. I like your radar. I want to go back to that radar uh, analogy because I love that a lot. So, your body, if you're struck, um, in, if you're struck from where, who knows where, has to like all of a sudden that radar goes up. So it's like bleep, bleep. It's like where is the attack coming from? If you're hunched over protecting yourself because you just got hit in the head, it's like where is that person? Is he behind you? Is he on the side of you? Is he in front of you? Where is that person? And so. Once you get that radar lock on them, where you sense where their body is, then it's the micro-awareness of now that you, you, you went from macro-awareness, like where are they, there they are, I've isolated who, where the attack is, micro-awareness to, okay, that person's there now, primary target, eyes, throat, um, you know, striking those. And so to go back over a summary here, so get lock on a target, attack, lead with speed, is what Andrew's Andrew said, lead with speed, get off something that's going to help you obtain the offense. You, they're on the offense. They think they've got you. You're on the defense. You've been, you've been ambushed. You need to turn that around. So as Andrew says, lead with speed. Get to those primary targets. Even if it's not a knockout punch, get to the eyes. It doesn't have to be a very powerful strike to be able to strike the eyes and get their body into self-protection mode. Um, as Andrew said, if you can't get to the primary targets, look for a secondary target. Maybe you can't lock onto where their head is because maybe there's a whole bunch of fists coming down on top of you, but you can look down because you're in a cover block situation. Maybe you can see where their legs are. Maybe you can see where the groin is. If you can, you know, you see, if you see that, maybe that's your first strike to be able to open up another primary target. 
you know, maybe it's you can you can strike to the leg or to the ankle or something like that. That's not going to take them out, but it can open them up so that it'll give you enough space that you can reach up, find their eyes, find their trachea, strike there, get them on the defense. Um, I, I love that kind of sequence of events of being able to respond to um, to the ambush. Well, I think that the key thing is, and I hear it all the time in in our seminars, is you know someone will start describing a confrontation they were in or or a friend was in the, the classic. Well, my this happened to my friend. And they say, well, he was just punching the face. And I say, no, it, it didn't happen that way. The, the confrontation starts so many steps before the first strike is thrown. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem is the person recounting the story, um, they didn't have the awareness to pick up on the pre-incident indicators. So in, in their, from their perception, it started with the punch. If, from someone who's got some developed awareness skills and knows what to look for, the, the punch started seven minutes ago. The punch started ten minutes ago when you walked in the bar, and as you were going to, uh, you know, say hi to your buddy, you bumped some guy on your way in. He's had seven beers in him. He thinks you're a jerk. He doesn't like your shirt, and who knows, right? So it started ten minutes ago, but you didn't pick up on how he his body language stiffened up, and all of a sudden this guy's pissed off at you. You have no clue why, but it started ten minutes ago, but you didn't pick up on it. And that's really the key is to knowing what are those signs. Opening up your eyes and and um, really seeing those pre-incident indicators, so you see the threat when it's miles away on your radar, not when it's right in your face. Because when it's in your face, now you're putting the pressure on yourself to be an effective street fighter, right? Now you've got to have the physical conditioning to fight one, two, three guys. You've got to have weapon defense skills. Now you know this guy's probably armed. Uh, and you might have to be a good runner. So now you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get out of the situation effectively. Whereas had you seen the Princeton indicators, you may have said, you know what, this, this is not looking like a good night. You and your buddy take off and go somewhere else. Uh, help a lot less work to avoid what could be a potentially a really bad ending to an evening. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's... um. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.